Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host for the show. Uh, let me get this out of the way at the beginning. Any way you could interact with the product is, in fact, very, very helpful. Please do so. Uh, if you're on Am- if you're on Apple Podcasts, uh, write us a review, give us a star rating. Both of those are very helpful. Um, Jeez, I forget how all of them work. Most of them have some kind of like mechanism these days. Uh, there's a million podcast apps, and I this goes up onto a lot of them, so I, I apologize if I'm missing a few. Of them, but you can give us a, give the if you can interact with the individual episode, thumbs up. Uh, if that's applicable, or you know, something similar, and share, please share us around with the <laughs> whatever your social media platform of choice happens to be. Let the people know about the show. That's Really, the, that's really what I'm hoping for. Uh, most of you listening to this point have already, you know, you, you enjoy it, so please point other people in our direction. Best I can hope for. All right. And with, you know, with that out of the way, let's talk about what's on the agenda this evening. Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 46. We'll go over the results from that particular card. Uh, there was some... Ugh. I'm a little bit disenchanted by the main card because there was one finish in the entire main card stretch, and that ruined my ability to do some uh, watch-along stuff with Mark Radlich for the uh, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez uh, titled unification bout for boxing that I was kind of looking forward to. But, eh, such is life, I suppose. Although, what are the odds? (laughs) What do you think the odds were that the only fight on the main card that would get a finish would be Carla Esparza? (laughs) Her first, that woman has a grand total of two finishes in the UFC. Her UFC debut when she won the inaugural strawweight title by submitting Rose Namajunas, and now this one. That's it. Everything, every other time she's won, decision. <laughs> oh, okay. The, uh, again, the odds may, the odds are probably long on that. We'll also preview UFC on ESPN plus 47, which, uh, Boy, is that a card that could be skipped without issue, right? So, we'll give you a full preview of that. You can decide for yourself if I'm being overly harsh. I am a very harsh critic, overly so at times. And what we have for news, really slow news week. Uh, Yeah, really, that's kind of it. Uh, Slow news week. So, let's jump right into things. Last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 46, your main event... Rob Font uh, defeats Cody Garbrandt via unanimous decision. 250-45s, 148-47. I do not understand 48-47. Not in this fight. You could maybe give Garbrandt the second. I think that was the I think that was the one that kind of went okay maybe. Uh, his did a lot of wrestling and had some pretty good control time in the second and a few decent flurries. I think it was the second. That might have been the first, though. The first and second round for this fight were both kind of similar. So if I'm transposing a few specific sequences in my memory to line up into each one, I might have a, my opinion uh, will even be a little bit different. But point being, one of those two, I suppose there's an argument. I didn't agree. I was 50-45. But other than that, you would have to wildly overvalue uh, the first minute or so of the fifth when Cody finally showed some signs of life again. 
but it's uh, but other than that, this was a sh this was the Rob Font show. He constantly backed Garbrandt up, jabbed him repeatedly. Was really good about uh, he wasn't great about stopping all the takedowns. Again, I think the first round uh, he gave up more than he stopped. But as the fight wore on, he was better about defending them, which is kind of that's a little bit the book on Font. Uh, his he can be out wrestled early, but He's really good about getting back to his feet. I mean, more than stopping a takedown, he's very, very good about getting back up. And it makes you waste energy. Uh, he so he uh, kept going and just beautiful jabs, really nice one-twos. little bit surprised by the lack of body work from Font. Uh, he got to it a little bit as the fight progressed, but he hit some intermittently very solid body shots. He had a couple of front kicks that actually seemed to... Kind of lock Cody up for a second, but it uh, he just didn't. I don't know. Again, it and look, it worked for him. He won by a wide margin. I was a little bit surprised he didn't hit the body more, just as a general point of uh, observation. But Rob Font is just a smooth technician. Uh, he is a and he's a really hard guy to beat. So I, the bantamweight logjam at the moment is kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, not just for fans, but for the you know the UFC brass. You have to remake Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan after what happened. You just do. You've also got Corey Sandhagen, who should probably be in the title picture. I think is probably the number one contender outside of Yan. You've got TJ Dillashaw coming back, and he's scheduled to fight. Uh, I think they're trying to remake his fight with Sandhagen. And now you've got Font. Uh... That's a lot of guys. That's a lot of guys to try and wrangle. Uh, imagine how much easier this would be if Piotr Jan had just not thrown that stupid knee. Uh, we wouldn't have a mostly paper. I've said this before. If you did not, if you didn't, if you listen to this for the first time, if you didn't hear my review of that event, I said Aljamain Sterling is kind of a paper champion through no fault of his own. That, again, that is an albatross around that man's neck that somebody else put there. His behavior sense, whether you like it or not, that's on him. But the circumstance that led to his position, he had very little control over. Uh, I mean, almost none. Uh, Font afterwards said that he thought Sterling was a more, was a better puzzle to solve than Jan. I, I think he's just talking. Um, in. Uh, I would love to see Font and Yon. I mean, you have two very, very technical strikers, striking-based guys who can both do other things if they need to. That would be a heck of a fight. Uh, so hopefully we get Yon and Sterling fought again to sort that out. Uh, I still kind of favor Yon pretty heavily in that. But who knows? Sterling might be able to make a few adjustments and win legitimately this time. I shouldn't say legit. I say legitimately just because it was a DQ. Again, not his fault. Unless you're one of the people who think he was just uh, radically exaggerating how bad that knee strike was. But anytime you get I, anytime you get a DQ, it's uh, it's it's kind of an illegitimate win. I mean, it's it's a valid win, but we all know what's up with those. Uh, as for Garbrandt, man, I don't know what. I don't quite know what to make of him at this point. 
he is uh, when Cody Garbrandt is on offense, he is very good. He got to show off his jab a little bit in this fight, and he has a very good jab. I mean, he was jabbing kind of effectively with Font in places, and Font had like a six-inch reach advantage. He just didn't really keep it going, uh, which is kind of a problem. But he's got power. I mean, he hurt Font a few different times. Just never put a sustained flurry together. Did a lot of backing up. Um, which is not always the worst thing in the world, but it you've got to kind of balance that out with who you're fighting. Uh, uh, he never got kind of the angry, reckless side of himself out, which... I don't know that, uh, again, I can only judge what I saw. I don't know that it would have had better results for him, but he has not ever, I think, kind of found the perfect balance of how to maximize his abilities. Uh, He had one, he he had a great run-up to the title. I mean, there were some problems, there were some, you know, defensive holes, there was some over-reliance on power punching, you know, it's not like he was some perfect fighter. Uh, He was just kind of clubbing people. But he very clearly had ability, and then he has one of the most amazing performances you'll ever see when he wins the belt. And then he has an exceptional first round against TJ in that title fight, and then it all goes away. And he's not gotten back anywhere close to that form. Uh... I don't really. If I had a good answer, I'd you know I'd be happy to share it. But the I think Justin Buckholz is probably he had an assessment of Garbrandt because he was his head coach. In fact, he said by the time that when TJ won the bantamweight title, TJ was kind of Dwayne Ludwig's guy. When Cody won it, Cody was Justin's was Justin Buckles' guy, and uh, Buckles at the time was uh, either the head coach or one of the head coaches at Team Alpha Male. Unfortunately, Buckles and Team Alpha Male parted ways, and Cody decided to stick with Team Alpha Male and went on his skid. He's uh, he's been doing some training with Mark Henry for the previous fight and for this one, and Mark Henry was in his corner here. Uh, it just doesn't quite feel like they've, again, they've kind of found the way to marry his aggression and his offensive weapons uh, with not being in a stupid brawl. And, look, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to fix. It takes a very, very good coach, a very good student, and, a, and not just that, because... Cody Garbrandt is a good student, and he's got. And Mark Henry's a very good coach. But you've kind of got to then harmonize, right? They have to vibe together in the right way, and that—that's kind of alchemy. That's there's no necessary rhyme or reason to that. Uh, usually, good fighters will vibe with good coaches, but not always. So I. I don't know if Mark Henry's is the right fit for him. He's, they di- they seem to have curbed his more reckless impulses. But they might have curbed them too far, blunted the weapon a little bit too much. Uh, 
I don't know. I'm not certainly not calling for the man to retire or anything. He didn't get finished. His chin held up, and he had some pretty solid shots from Font throughout the course of this. But he's got some real things to kind of figure out. I I don't know. I mean, he's gonna fight someone else who's probably ranked. But he is now one and what one and five in his last uh, one and four in his last five. Now, again, two of those were T.J. Dillashaw. One of those was Pedro Munoz, who's going to be fighting Jose Aldo. And now Rob Font, who... He's not losing to Scrubs. But he's... You're still losing consistently, and that's not a good thing. So, for Font... Uh, Font afterwards said he would love to fight either for the belt or maybe the winner of Sandhagen and Dillashaw. And the winner of that would be the clear-cut number one contender. I don't know that you want to kill off one of them as a title oper as a title option, but depending on how the timing works out, you might have to. Um, oh, sorry, last thing on Cody. I'm I don't know that this is I don't know how much of an effect this played, but he's been fairly open about the uh, severity of his bout with COVID. He had some real he had some fairly significant uh, complications that came out of it. He's one of the long haulers. He spent a lot of time dealing with symptoms. He got pneumonia. There was blood clotting issues. He had kind of the COVID brain fog, vertigo. Uh, I, and we've, we still don't know fully the long-term health effects of severe bouts of COVID. We, the people who measure this kind of stuff in athletes have noted that some very, very gifted athletes still struggled with uh, diminished lung capacity for a fair bit of time after bouts of COVID. Now, again, COVID could vary in severity depending from person to person, depending on a number of factors, including the viral load when you were exposed, any other underlying health conditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need to... Re I'm not here to litigate COVID. I'm certainly not qualified to speak in detail. But it was... But he had a severe case. And I don't know how much of an impact that played here, but it was certainly a it was certainly another variable. And I have no I feel very confident saying it did not have a good effect on him. <laughs> so I don't know what's next for him. Again, someone else probably in or around the top. Uh, probably he might fight someone outside of the top ten next. But probably someone still with uh, someone in the top 15. Uh, so, I have the top 15 at Bantamweight these days, actually. Uh, Bantamweight being... Bantamweight is a stacked division. I mean, there's there's not a lot of easy fights there. Um, Let's see. So, our, so, at the moment, it looks like this. You have Sterling as champion, Jan, Sandhagen, Font, Garbrandt, Aldo, Murray... Pity we've got Aldo and Munoz. Just because Aldo and Garbrandt would be something, right? That'd be something. Anyway, Aldo, Marais, Edgar, Munoz, Cruz, Rob Dwalis. Then we get to number 10, Rob Dwalis, really. After that, Rafael Asensao, Jimmy Rivera, Cody Stamen, uh, Stamen, Kyler Phillips, and Marlon Vera. So, Garbrandt's going to drop. Um... Maybe Garbrandt Edgar? Maybe? That's a great... I mean, who would object to that fight? I don't know. If Garbrandt is on... 
is on his upper form. That would probably end very, very badly for Frankie. <laughs> but if he performs a little bit more like this, I don't know. I mean, one thing about Garbrandt, and this this is one of the things about Frank. I've said this before. It's been noted not just by me, by plenty of other people. What makes Frankie Edgar's game work is his is the blending of um, striking and wrestling. When you nullify one of those, the other one is not near. It's neither of the neither of those elements on their own are all that great. So if you can stop one of them, the other one becomes very becomes much more manageable. Jose Aldo shut down his takedowns, which led to a prolonged striking battle. And Aldo beat the crap out of him both times. Uh, Brian Ortega, Brian Ortega's threats on this just kind of nullified his. Gra I mean, that was a shorter fight, but it just kind of nullified his uh, wrestling, or at least made him very, very hesitant to wrestle the way he used he would normally do. So, led to him kind of walking into that elbow strike. Cody Garbrandt has a hundred percent takedown defense, I believe. <laughs> I don't think he's ever been taken down. And people with some really good takedowns have tried to do so. Font has pretty good takedowns and tried here. Cruz tried to take him down and couldn't. And Dominic Cruz has some really great takedowns. Uh, it's... It would be a... That might be the fight to make. It would be a... That's a real crossroads fight for both guys. Uh, that might be Frankie's last stand as a top 10 bantamweight if he takes that fight. Uh, I don't know. Just kind of my thought. Um, alright, anyway, that was your main event. Really good fight. Um, uh, was that your fight of the night? Let's see if this has been, this has been updated. Oh, of course not. Of course they gave it to... I will yell about that in a bit. Uh, this, this should have been fight of the night. It was a little bit one-sided, but it was, it was a great fight. Full of technique on the feet, on the ground... Moving shot selection. This is the fight to watch out of this uh, out of this card, my opinion. Co-main event: Carla Esparza defeats Jan Shaunan via TKO. This was punches and elbows from the mounted crucifix. 258 of the second. Uh, wildly disappointing performance from Jan. Came in, threw a jab, threw a one-two, overcommitted on the right, got double-legged, never got up. Uh, kind of the same thing in the second round. Uh, I am. I'm a little bit surprised she got as far as she did in the rankings, without ever realizing the importance of knowing how to regain your feet. Uh, other times she's been taken down, she's just kind of worked off of her back more than anything else. Uh, not a good strategy against Esparza, who just passed her guard very quickly. Uh, once she got to the mounted crucifix, Jan didn't try to get the trapped arm back. She was just kind of trying to buck and bridge, which might work against someone who doesn't understand the position. Uh, I'm Carla Esparza understands that particular position. You you need something more than just trying to buck her off. So, again, uh, very very disappointing performance if you're a fan of Jan. One of Asparza's better performances, she wasn't just kind of laying and praying. She was actively looking to pass and inflict damage along the way. So, kudos to her. Um, this should, in theory, put Asparza in line for the next title shot. Uh, 
there was a quote from Dana White that came out today, actually. Not sure if they're going to do a Sparza or a rematch with Zhang Wiley for Rosnami Yunus next. And... Okay. Allow me to translate that particular bit, of, that particular position for all of you. We really want to keep uh, opening up the Chinese market. And we kind of thought Jan would win this. <laughs> because, it, look, if there's... Let's just hop over to the alternate timeline for just a second where Jan Xiaonan wins this fight. Is there any doubt that the UFC puts her in there with Rose? I mean, Zhang Wiley does not deserve an immediate rematch for that belt. She got knocked out cold in the first round. And she did not have some lengthy title reign behind her. She had one title defense. It was an epic fight. Right? A fight I thought she lost, incidentally, but nonetheless, great, great fight. Loved that fight. Loved her and her and Joanna. I mean, how can you not love that fight? But if you want to give someone an immediate rematch, you need either a body of work, a severe lack of contenders, or a controversial finish. None of those are at play here. No body of work as champion, no controversial finish, and hey, here's Carlos Barza. Should be fighting for the belt next. Uh, I honestly think that with the time Ioana's taken off, she probably needs another fight. So you, there's not really a reason for Zhang to get an immediate rematch other than the UFC's attempting to continue to pander to the Chinese market. And let me be clear when I say pander. I say pander there, and you might think that's a negative thing. They're trying to expand their operation into one of the most into the most populous country in the world. That only makes sense. Uh, but it, it does involve a little bit of... Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't quite say genuflecting, but massaging of matchmaking and of fights to appeal to the local demographic. They did, and look, they did this in Brazil. Uh when they started going, to, when they started having events in Brazil, look at some of those first cards. They put Brazilian fighters, usually against foreigners, in winnable fights. And Brazil was already, and at that point, Brazil was already kind of a hotbed for MMA in the sense that they produced a lot of top-tier talent. China doesn't quite have that yet. And the UFC is kind of trying to invest time and money into that space, open up the market, get a fan base there. And that means they're going to try to feature Chinese fighters in prominent positions. You know, they they took Jessica Andrade's first title defense to China. I think it was I think it was Shanghai. Pretty sure it was Shanghai. I'd have to double check that. To fight the challenger. That's that's not unheard of, but it is kind of a rarity. And you know, Zhang knocked her out. And the UFC, again, they're trying to kind of help that market. So they're going to try to... And a lot of the male Chinese fighters have not quite panned out yet. Some of them... And look, that's not to say they won't. Some of them are very talented. Some of them are very clearly on their way up. But you had a champion in Zhang, and you had a really long win streak here in uh, Yan. And 
they're going to try to maximize that because of the prestige that the UFC title brings to the extent that you believe it to be prestigious. Uh, look, it should be Esparza by all right. She should be next. But you never quite know with these things. The UFC has uh, the UFC has things other than the pure meritocracy at uh, in their mind when they matchmake. Uh, hopefully, Jan learns the appropriate lessons from this. She's still got a non-trivial amount of ability. But you, you better look at this and go, okay, I need X, Y, and Z, and I need to fix this fast. In no small part, because everyone else who watched this, if they have any ounce of wrestling ability, they're going to try and, re and recreate this performance. Uh, somebody points out a hole in your armor, you better fix it, because everyone else is going to aim for it. I'm going to go fairly quickly through the... Re not through all of these. There's a couple that I want to talk about in a little bit more detail. But um, in technically your fight of the night, Jared Vandera defeated Justin Toffa via unanimous decision. 230-27-129-28. I, I do not understand that. Um, it was heavyweights who kind of punched each other in the face for 15 minutes. Allegedly for 15 minutes. There was not not that much action. But there was blood, and there were a couple of flurries that were very impressive, and, you know, Dana White being Dana White, I suppose. Uh, I don't have anything to say about the fight. Let's see. Women's featherweight Norma Dumont defeated Felicia Spencer via split decision. 30-27 for Dumont, 29-28 for Spencer, and 29-28 for Dumont. I scored this for Dumont. Uh... Spencer had moments, but unfortunately Spencer doesn't really put combinations together, and uh, Dumont threw more combinations, brought a little bit more heat with her punches uh, just over the course of the fight. Uh, women, I mean, women's featherweight is not a real division, but wasn't a terrible fight, all things considered. Really slow first round, but other than that, it was, again, watchable, more or less. Uh, featherweight, Ricardo Ramos defeated Bill Algio via unanimous decision, 230-27, This was a decent little fight. Um... Algio just kind of... First of all, Algio gets taken down way too often. Uh, Ramos took him down... Super for Ramos. I know he prefers Ricardo for his first name, but I'm not sure if he had... Some Brazilians, uh, when they spend enough time in the UFC, have kind of swapped to the English pronunciation of R rather than the Portuguese... Rather than the Brazilian Portuguese... I think it's... Rather than the Brazilian Portuguese pronunciation of R, the Portu the. Portuguese Portuguese pronunciation of R is, more, I think, a little bit more in line with the English R, but I'd have to double-check that, too. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, Hamos just kept a good pace, put together some more combinations, and out-grappled and out-wrestled Algeo for most of the fight. And kicking off the main card, the only other fight I'm going to spend a degree of time talking about here in some detail, Jack Hermanson defeated Edmund Shabazian via unanimous decision. 29-27 uh, across the board. Uh, not quite sure what to say about this one. Shabazian had a good first round. Um, he was landing some... Uh, Hermanson was good about keeping his defense high, so he blocked a fair number of punches. But he got hit a fair bit, too. I mean, Shabazian with, sh again, sharp, sharp hands. 
Uh, some decent kicks. He didn't kick a whole lot in the first round, but he was really good about punching Hermanson, circling him. Uh, in just the striking, Shabazian is a very, very good fighter. Unfortunately, second round, Hermanson gets a takedown, and Shabazian never gets back up. Not really. And Hermanson has very, very good ground and pound. That man will put damage on you. Uh, so he a lot of the second round is that. Third round even more so. Third round, uh, third round was 10-8. That's how we got to 29-27. Hermanson gets... Uh, he got taken down at one point by Shabazian in the third, but he... Uh, I think he either swept him or just was able to get up and then return, then get him back down. Uh, he ended the third round in full mount, just dropping bombs. Uh, he landed... He busted up both of Shabazian's eyes. There were cuts over both eyebrows. Um, yeah, it was... It was not pretty. And the third round, Shabazian kind of gassed again. Uh, to Shabazian's credit, his second round was a lot better in terms of his cardio. Again, he lost the second... But uh, previously, he kind of had one. He was kind of a one-round wonder. Not quite so much here. He d he still, despite losing the second, he acquitted himself fairly well, all things considered. Uh, the, again, the third round, everything just kind of fell apart. Uh, but here we have another example of a a very gifted natural fighter. In Edmund Shabazian. And, look, people are going to... Some people are already dunking on the guy because he's lost two in a row, and... Uh, which I... Ugh, I don't get. He's young. He's like 23. Okay, he's only 23. Uh, but th the man very clearly can fight. He didn't get here by accident. He got here by knocking people out. Some very good fighters... <laughs> But every natural fighter has a couple of things that they're not good at that need to that they need help with, that they need to be coached regarding. And here we have a case where, for the second, for those of you who don't know, Edmund Shabazian trains out of a Glendale Fight Club, which is Edmund Tarverdian's gym. And Edmund coached Ronda Rousey to. UFC championship-level success. Until she needed to actually change what she was doing. And then she got smoked. He got Edmund Shabazian to an undefeated record into the UFC and with some solid UFC wins. Dude, Shabazian head-kicked, knock, head knocked out cold Brad Tavares. A guy who went three... Five, sorry... Brad Tavares went five hard rounds with Israel Adesanya. Shabazian got him out of there in the first round. The man can fight. But he's got some problems, some habits, some tendencies that require coaching to deal with. And per usual with Edmund, when he actually... When Coaching on that level is required, his fighter falls apart. When your fight, his fighter has to make adjustments, he can't help them. <laughs> um, I, I hate to come out here and kind of... Coaching a fighter is a very, very difficult job. 
I, I want to make that very, very clear. I don't envy anyone who does that job in that particular respect. That is not easy. Uh, you have to find... You have to find ways to communicate with the individual fighters. You have to identify patterns, habits, try to train them out of them, try to train new patterns and habits. You have to kind of manage their egos. Uh, you have to... You have to push them without alienating yourself from... Like, it's it's a whole thing. I don't... So to be very clear, I don't envy anyone. But there's a... At this point, there's a relatively clear pattern that's emerged with Edmund. And... I don't know that that particular location is the best choice for Shabazi, and if he wants to maintain... Uh, if he wants to excel... I mean, he took some damage in his last fight and this one. He got beat up pretty badly. And he might only be 23, but if he's taken that kind of damage already, that that will shorten your career in a hurry if you're taking this these kind of beating. Let me look up the look at the stats on that one real fast. Because that that got ugly in a hurry. Uh, let's see here. Font versus Garbrandt. Hermanson and Shabazi. Let me go round by round. Okay, so if we look at significant strikes per round. Um, round... Uh, some of the some of the blows that were landed were not significant, but they still did... Okay, so if we look at round... So just look at the numbers. Round one, Edmund Shabazian landed 26 of 67 strikes. Now that's a fairly low percentage, but that's a... That's a fairly decent clip. If, and in fact, if we look total per round, um, not significant. Looking at total. Okay, total strikes per round. Total strikes for the first round. Uh, they counted everything Shabazian threw in the first as significant. Yeah, so he had a, he had a lower. He only landed 38%, but he landed good shots. Second round, uh, Hermanson won it. He was 24 of 35 total strikes. And then the third round, where things got bad, he was 99 out of 115. So over the course of those three rounds, uh, Edmund Shabazian absorbed 141 blows, most of those to the head. What was, this? What was the target breakdown? 80% of those to the head. So if you want to do the math on that, knock yourself out. But that's not... You don't want him to be taking that kind of damage that young in his career. I mean, say nothing of the Brunson fight. How did he do in that one? Now that I'm kind of curious about that. Total in the Brunson fight, he absorbed 107. So that's well over 200 strikes absorbed in his last two fights. That should be troubling. That should be very troubling. <laughs> but he's he's got some adjustments to make as far as that goes. Uh, Hermanson needed that win. I mean, he lost his last fight. But he Hermanson's still a player at middleweight. He's still a top-level guy. Yeah. Uh, but big setback for Shabazian, um, especially since this this went largely the same way his fight with Brunson did. 
if you've got a repeatable, exploitable... Losing once this way might be a fluke, especially if you address the problem. Uh, losing twice in a row? Not good. Anyway, that was the main card. Only one finish. Uh, as for the prelims, Ben Rothwell defeated Chris Barnett via submission. It was a front choke, ten-finger guillotine. Might have been the go-go choke. I'd have to do- I, you can't tell looking the difference between some of those. Uh, but there are minor grip differences. 207 of the second. Uh, Barnett took this fight on, like, a day's notice. Uh, he's been a long-time stable of the kind of combat sports regional scene. It was nice to see him get a shot. I hope they bring him back. Yeah, I would like to see him with a full camp, not just, Hey, ten hours ago I <laughs> uh, I was not fighting, so... Uh, Rothwell got the win. It's heavyweight. God, who cares? Um, Court McGee defeated Claudio Silva via unanimous decision. 230-26 is 129-27. There was a 10-8 from all three judges, I believe the second round, which I should have gone... I did not, I should have. Um, Silva looked okay in the first, but Silva's long had cardio issues. Court McGee just ground this one out. He persevered on the occasions he got hit. Landed some good punches, got things down, beat up Silva on the ground, almost had an arm triangle in the second. Uh, this was the best Court McGee's looked in a long time, so kudos to him. He probably saved his career with this one. Well, his UFC tenure, at least. Flyweight Bruno Silva defeated Richter Rodriguez via knockout one minute of the first with punches. Beautiful finishing sequence here from Bruno. Throws a right. It, he missed, he misjudged it just a little bit, so he kind of catches Rodriguez more with the forearm on the side of the head. Turns that into a brief kind of tie clinch, or double collar tie. Knees him in the face, which hurts Rodriguez pretty badly. Let's him re uh, resets briefly and then clobbers him with that right hand. Uh, really nice sequence from Silva. Featherweight Josh Kulabau defeated um, Shail... <sighs> I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Um, Shailan Nurdenbeke. Nurdenbeke? There was some, there was some different accent on the second part. Uh, I forget how to do it. I'm going to refer to him as Shailan, uh, because he's Chinese, and most of the time, uh, Chinese, Japanese, uh, South Koreans will swap the, uh, South Koreans will swap this for Western audiences. I think I don't know. It might be a cultural thing where they're a little bit more comfortable listing them, but most of the Asian countries like that, again China and Japan specifically, to the extent that you're not in one of the China portions of China where they just have one name, they list family name first and then personal name. So when you Westernize or Romanize them, you have to swap them if for listings, or you just leave them the same and know that they're different. Like Yan Xiaonan, for example. If she were American with that same name, she would be Xiaonan Yan. Yan is the family name. I'm going to assume Shailian is the family name until I find out otherwise. Uh, because the, U the UFC has been very weird about which fighters they do the name swap for. So I will, again, just going to have to wait on that one until I know more. So if I'm referring to him overly familiar in an overly familiar sense via his first name, I apologize. Just throwing it out there. Um, Kulib, uh, he had a decent, Chalian had a decent 
think it was the third. When Coolabout kind of coasted a little bit. Um, he thought it was the first with his with a lot of... It was the first. He had a lot of clinch control in the first. I actually gave Coolabout the first. Uh, Shelion had a lot of clinch time, but didn't do a whole lot with it. Um, or I saw other people give Coolabout the first, and I wasn't sure, but I can't remember. Uh, the longer the fight went on, the worse it got for Shelion. Coolabout just kind of beat him up at distance once he couldn't get him down. Uh, solid enough stuff from Coolabout. Flyweight, David Dvorak defeated Juan Camilo Ronderos. Um, Ronderos missed weight. I'm going to cut him a break on this one because he took this fight on 11 hours notice. And the fact that he got all the way down to 128 and a half on that short of time frame, I'm... They should... Anytime you get someone fighting on that short of notice... Especially if they're fighting in what the weight class they normally fight at. Just give them a catch weight. What would have been lost if they said, okay, I'm taking this fight on, you know, 12 hours notice. I can't make 125, I can make 128, hypothetically. I mean, would Dvorak have complained about not having to cut as much weight? I don't know. That's just me. Um, Dvorak defeated him via one-armed rear-naked choke, 218 of the first. Dvorak was one of the biggest favorites on this entire card. Like, minus 950, I think. Uh, and him and the, the next guy we'll talk about, uh, Demir Smogulov, were both, like, the same. Um, Dvorak is legit. That man is a very, very good fighter. He's a good scrambler. He's a good striker. He's got power. He's got... So he is a problem at flyweight. He was ranked coming into this. He was supposed to fight Harley on Paiva. Um, Paiva pulled out again the day before the event, like uh, right before they were going to cut weight or whatnot. Um, let me look at Flyweight real fast, because Dvorak... He was ranked coming into this. He was, what, 11? Yeah, 11. Um, Paiva's ranked below him. Get that man in there with somebody above him. Uh, get him in there with Rogerio Bon... Someone else that fought at Flyweight on this card called out Bonterine. I think it was Silva. Uh, which I would... Get Forak in there with Rogerio Bonterine. Get him in there with Kai Kerafrant or Brandon Royville. Somebody in that space. Um, he's beat up on the guys below him in rankings for long enough. He's on a long winning streak, too. Um... Yeah, he's 20-3 and three as a professional. And hasn't lost since 2012. Get that man somebody near number... Get that man somebody right near the top five. Again, Royville at six, Carafrance at seven, or Bonterine at eight. One of those guys. Let's Let's find out what we're working with here as far as that goes. Uh, and kicking off the main card, Demiris Magulov defeated Rafael Alves via unanimous decision, 29-28 on all three scorecards. Um, little bit lackluster for Miss Magulov down the stretch. He was coming off a long layoff. He hadn't fought since when in 19? Since August of 19 when he beat Tiago Moises. Uh, he's... Miss Magulov is a very good fighter. He's a good technician. He's got a chin. He can crack. He can fight kind of anywhere. 
Uh, he just faded a little bit down the stretch, so hopefully, hopefully it was just kind of a sign of ring rust more than anything else. And I would like to see him fight somebody, uh, maybe not ranked, but cl- closer to the top of lightweight, you know? Uh, he, he's someone to pay attention to. Uh, yeah, that was the event. We lost some fights. Uh, what did we lose the day of? We were supposed to get Demir Hadzovic and Yancy Medeiros. That fell through. Um, Stephanie Egger was supposed to fight Sarah Alpar. That fell through. Um, what was the other one? I don't... Was there another fight that fell out? Yeah, Rodrigo Nascimento and Alan Bado, um, Bowed it? Bado? I think it was Bado. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a card. Um, oh, other thing. I think the only other thing coming out of this to talk about. Uh, Paul Felder, who was on commentary for this event, announced his retirement on the desk. Uh, that's, uh, I don't know if that'll stick. I mean, we had Alan Joban announce his retirement a little bit ago. He's a talking head on the... Not on commentary, but on the analyst desk for uh, the UFC for some of these events for ESPN. And he's pretty darn good at it. Uh, so, again, I don't know how... I don't know whether or not that will stick for Joe Ban or not. I think it might, but uh, I don't know. Ditto Felder. I mean, MMA retirements are just kind of MMA retirements as far as that goes. Um, Felder... If he is done... You know, climb to one of the top-ranked lightweights in the world. It was, I think, his highest number five at one point. Comes on the. That man had a lot of performance bonuses. Uh, his second fight in the UFC, he knocked out Danny Castillo with a spinning backfist. I vividly remember that. Loses to Edson Barboza, loses a split decision to Ross Pearson. I kind of thought he won that. Uh, beats Darren Crookshank, beats Josh Berkman, fights the heck out of Francisco Trinaldo. That fight was stopped after Trinaldo opened up a nasty cut on him in the third, and the fight had to be stopped. Goes on a three-fight winning streak. Um, probably highlighted by him beating Charles Oliveira with elbows in the second round. Oliveira now, of course, the lightweight champion. Um... He ends on a two-fight losing streak, split decisions to Dan Hooker and Rafael Dos Anjos. I like Paul Felder, but I don't know how you score either of those fights for him. Uh, the RDA one in particular. The da- the Hooker one, I think, there was a, I was a little bit more understanding of. Uh, both of those were fight of the night. Uh, he's a three-time fight of the night winner, a three-time performance of the night winner. Uh... Again, the end comes for everybody. If he's ready to be done, then he should be done. Uh, I don't say that unkindly. I don't... If you are not... What is it Joe Rogan likes to say about this? If you're not all into fighting, don't be in it, because you'll just wind up on someone else's highlight reel and really, really hurt. Uh, He gave a lot of his time and energy. He gave us some great fights. Again, that Hooker fight, his fight with Dan Hooker, that's a great fight. That is a really good fight. He gave us some, you know, memorable finishes. Uh, and if he's done, then I don't have anything bad to say about him. He turned into a... When he first did some of those commentary gigs for the Contender series, I was shocked at how good he was. 
he is a very good uh, color commentator for the UFC. So he's going to keep doing that. Uh, hope he do- I hope he sticks around that. Again, he's good at it. So I hope he does. I wish him nothing but the best in his retirement from fighting. Uh, he gave us, he achieved a lot more than a lot of people, and he gave us as fans some memorable stuff. So thank you and congratulations, and please continue doing what you're doing, Mr. Felder. Uh, you're, again, you're a great asset to the commentary booth. All right, let us move on from that to UFC on ESPN plus 47. This is going to be quick. I don't have a whole lot to say. about. We don't even have a fully realized uh, bout order for all of this. So let me, let me just go with what we've got here. Your main event, Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Augusto Sakai. I can't begin to express how little I care about this. Uh, Rosenstreich coming off of an absolutely awful performance against Cyril Gaon. He got... He did nothing. Um, just nothing. Uh, just... Yeah, that was a terrible fight. And Sakai... Coming off... He got battered by Overeem in his last fight. Stopped in the fifth round of their, uh, their main event. That was his first loss in the UFC. It ended a fairly long winning streak. <sighs> Sakai's got some fast hands, but he's a little bit iffy. Rosenstrike's a good kickboxer. I don't know. This this one le- could legitimately go either way. I'm going to pick Rosenstrike, but eh, not, not confident in that. Co-main event, another heavyweight fight. Walt Harris and Marcin Tabora. So many heavyweights on this card. Harris on a three on a two fight losing streak. He was finished by both Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov. Um, whereas Tabora's been a little bit back and forth on a on a winning streak though, coming off a finish of Greg Hardy. I actually beat Augusto. <laughs> he beat Augusto Sakai a few years ago. <laughs> Tabora's not a great fighter, but he's hard to beat. Not impossible to beat, just hard. Uh, if this were five rounds, I'd pick Tabora pretty easily. At just three, I won't be shocked if Harris wins, but I'm going to pick Tabora. Let's see, middleweight fight, Roman Delidze and Loriano Staropoli. Uh, Delidze coming off his first loss in the UFC. Whereas Staropoli, two and two... Losing streak. I'll go with Delidze, but a couple of guys who are fighting for relevance, and they both seem to know it. Probably the best fight on this whole card is up ne- is the next one here. Santiago Ponzinibbio and Miguel Baeza. Ponzinibbio was one of the best welterweights in the world for a while. Still might be. But he got stopped by Li Jing Leong back in January, and that kind of wrecked his lo- his momentum. Uh, he's had some issues with activity as well. Whereas Baeza, undefeated, 10-0, 3-0 in the UFC, finished all of them, and he seems to be a very, very real presence in the division. Uh, this is a really good fight. I'm going to lean towards Ponzinibbio, but if the years and miles have caught up to him, Baeza will figure that out in a hurry. 
Let's see. Tom, middleweight, Tom Breeze and Antonio Ahoyo. Probably pick Breeze there. Breeze is one of those guys, man. Looked like a world beater for a while, then lost, kind of fell off due to inactivity. Uh, had some tough setbacks. I don't know. Uh, I'll pick him here, but I'm not sure. I'll, I'm not sure about that. Let's see. Another heavyweight fight. Tanner Bozer and Alir Latifi. I'll pick Bozer, but God, who cares? Welterweight. Francisco Trinaldo still kicking around against Muslim Salikov. Speaking of kicks, that's not a bad fight, actually. Trinaldo up at welterweight. Um, he's fought there before, but he spent the bulk of his U. I think all of his UFC career was at lightweight. Now, his UFC debut was at middleweight. Uh, when he beat Delson Heleno, he dropped down to lightweight, which is his natu more natural weight. Lost to Tebow, won a couple, lost one, lost, long winning streak, lost to Kevin Lee. Been a little bit up and down. He's on a three-fight winning streak right now, but he missed weight. He weighed 160 for his last fight, so if he's, and he's what, 40-something? He's 42. If that man can't cut to 155 anymore, I'm not going to throw shade at him. Um, whether he'll be able to deal with Salikov is a slightly different story. Muslim Salikov has only lost twice in his entire career. Lost his UFC debut. He's on a four-fight winning streak since then. I kind of like Salikov here, but we should get a fun striking affair between those two. Lightweight, Alon Patrick will fight Mason Jones. I'm okay picking Patrick there, but he's getting a little bit long in the tooth as well. Let's see, women's flyweight, uh, Manon Foyo. Foyo? I think she prefers Foyo. And Marina Moroz. I'm okay picking Moroz here, but that's a little bit of a dicey. That's one of those that they're both just still young enough and developing enough that could go either way. Uh, we have some fights that are not have are not on the bout order just yet. Uh, Yusuf Zalal and Sean Woodson. Didn't Zalal lose his last fight? His last two, actually. Illyria Taporia beat... Dude, that was Taporia's coming out party when he did what he did to Zalal. And then, yeah, he lost to... Um, Sungwoo Choi. Not a good spot for him. He'll probably win this one, but not a good spot. Women's flyweight, Montana De La Rosa and Ariane Lipsky. Um, Lipsky got finished by Antonina Shevchenko. Uh, I'm picking De La Rosa there, but De La Rosa's had a rough go of it lately. Uh, she's coming off of a majority draw. That she would have lost if not for a fence grab by Silva. Uh, she lost to Viviani Araujo before that. Yeah, I'm going to pick her here, but she kind of needs the win badly. Let's see. Lightweight Claudio Pulez and Jordan Levin. I'm okay picking Pulez there. Uh, in theory, Dusko Todorovic will fight. He was supposed to fight... Who is he fighting? Uh, Maki Patolo, which would have been a decent enough fight. Uh, but Patolo pulled out. Again, they announced this on the car on the broadcast yesterday, so they're looking for a replacement for him. And Makwan Amir Khani was supposed to fight Nate Landwehr in a battle of the crazies. Uh, Landwehr had Landwehr had to withdraw, so they're looking for someone for Amir Khani to fight. We'll see if either of those two remain on the card and in what capacity when we arrive at the event. I imagine that's kind of how that goes these days. But that will be in the M I will be in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania to cover that. Please do come by and pay and listen, read, well, listen to the show, 
please do read my report of the previous event and follow along when I do coverage of this one. I do the live play-by-play thing Saturdays for UFC events. Uh, appreciate all the support that you guys can give me. Come by, give it a read. Point somebody else in my direction if you're so inclined. Uh, share share it around, please. That's that's always appreciated. Uh, yeah. All right. So that's what I've got coming for that. Let's move on to some news, such as it is. Um, the biggest news in the combat sports world over the last week was boxing-related, when an arbiter ruled in favor of Deontay Wilder's case that Tyson Fury has to fight him next. Fury and Wilder had signed for it when they signed for their rematch after the draw. They had signed to have an immediate rematch after that. Um, but Fury and his team moved at, Fury and Bob Arum and Fury's personal promoter. They all kind of moved ahead with negotiations with Anthony Joshua after a period of time. And they believed that the uh, window for Deontay Wilder to invoke that particular rematch uh, had expired. Turns out not so much. The arbit the arbiter ruled that they have to. I think he set a time limit, like you must sign this, you must deal with this before X date. But he that put the kibosh on Fury Joshua because boxing. Um, Fury. Uh, the reports right now are that Fury and Wilder will have their third fight on July 24th. I fully expect De- uh, I fully expect Tyson Fury to beat Deontay Wilder again. Meanwhile, because of this, Anthony Joshua is being ordered by the WBO to defend his to defend his WBO heavyweight title against their against mandatory challenger Alexander Usyk. Um, hopefully, both Fury and Joshua win their fights, and we get that fight. Although, if Usyk wins, we might get. Uh, that whole apple cart might be upset, depending on the specifics of the contract, and whether or not there's an immediate rematch there, whether or not Fury beats Wilder, and whether or not there's a rematch after that, whether or not somebody gets injured. Uh, I mean, I, Luke Thomas put it this way, and I can't think of a better way to describe boxing. Boxing is like that friend you have who thinks about getting you a gift very, very hard, and we'll get you a gift, and when you open it, you'll go, this is nice, but they will also never give you what you ask for. You tell boxing, all we want is Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua to def- to def- to give us a unified, undisputed heavyweight champion for the first time in the four-belt era. And boxing goes, how about a third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, and Joshua versus Usyk. Now, I have no interest in Fury, Wilder 3. Other people do, fine. Your mileage will vary. I'm not. Joshua and Usyk is actually a fairly decent fight. Alexander Usyk, for those of you who may not be aware, was the first undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world uh, since Evander Holyfield. In fact, he and Holyfield are the only two men in history to have unified the cruiserweight titles. So, uh, he finally moved up to heavyweight. He's uh, won a couple of heavyweight fights, Got his mandat- became the mandatory for the WBO heavyweight title. It's not a bad fight. It's just not what you want. And that's, ki- again, that's kind of boxing in a nutshell as far as that goes. Uh, 
Yeah. So that sucks. I feel bad for Mark because he scheduled certain amounts of his time off around the date that they had kind of bandied about for Fury Joshua. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, such is life, I suppose. And again, it's not like again, it's not like Joshua and Usyk's a bad fight, and some people out there might be interested in Fury Wilder 3. I'm not one of them, but some people are, so good for them. And I, I say that somewhat glibly, but I genuinely mean that. If you're excited about that fight and we're going to get it, I hope you enjoy it, man, woman. I really do. I genuinely hope you enjoy that fight. Uh, last bit of news, a couple of pieces of miscellaneous here. Um, the UFC released longtime middleweight contender Ronaldo Jacare Souza after his last loss. We all kind of saw that coming. Um, and Kevin Lee announced his return. We haven't seen Kevin Lee in over a year. His last fight, he was submitted by Charles Oliveira. He will be moving up to welterweight again, trying his hand there, and he will. The, the current talks are for him to meet undefeated Sean Brady. Which is a... I'm actually quite interested in that fight, believe it or not. That's not a bad bit of matchmaking, all things considered. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, let's see. I think that's it. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. And if not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alright, nothing crazy seems to have broken while recording. Alright, I did stuff this week. In addition to covering, in addition to my usual coverage bits of WWE SmackDown on Friday, uh, MLW's Underground Rears on Wednesday, AEW Dark Elevation on Monday, I had a bunch of podcasts this week. Jeez, <laughs> I want to make sure I, rem I don't want to make sure I don't forget any of them. So let me pull up the list. Let's see. Um, I was part of... Uh, there was a Damn You Hollywood for Spiral. Uh, Mark Radlitz, Alexis Hayna, and I got together, and we uh, we welcomed Jason Teasley. We talked about the latest entry into the Saw franchise. Uh, yeah, we weren't terribly complimentary, but... What do you expect? Thursday, I talked Jupiter's Legacy, the Netflix television series, with Mark. We had an interesting discussion about a variety of topics. Uh, you know... Generalized ethics, the values of conservatism and progressivism on a societal level, not a political one. The death penalty. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff. So listen to that. Uh, we, it's a lot of fun. Um, and Friday, there was a damn you Hollywood for the Netflix movie starring Dave Bautista, Army of the Dead, the latest Zack Snyder flick. Uh, you can tune in to that for all of our thoughts there. You can find you can find damn you Hollywood and my work on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network over on the W2M Network, Family of Podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this one, you can just look up W2M, and you will probably find us. So if you could listen to any and all of those, much appreciated if you're so inclined. This coming week... What do I have this coming week? Um, I have... Well, we've kind of re-aired our Season 1 review of Luke Cage from back in the day. Over on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network, we're in the process of migrating over a lot of our old shows that maybe that might have been lost to the ether and whatnot. So stuff that we found uh, is kind of being re-aired under our new banner. So be on the lookout for all of that stuff. Monday, I have nothing. Tuesday, I have two things. There will be a TV party for the fourth and final season of the Netflix anime series Castlevania. 
I will also be on the Metal Hammer of Doom to review Jonathan Young's uh, uh, Jonathan Young's album Starship Velociraptor that he released under the uh, under the fake name of Galacticraken, which is a great name for a band, by the way. So you can tune in for that. I don't get on the Metal Hammer of Doom terribly often, but I always enjoy it when I do. Um, I'm kind of on deck for the for the Amazon animated series Invincible uh, on Wednesday, in case anything happens to Ronnie Adams. And yeah, that is gonna be that is gonna be it. So thank so be on the lookout for all of that stuff for this coming week. Always appreciate everything that you guys do. Uh, all, all of your support that you give to myself, the projects that I do, uh, means a lot. Thank you very much. All right, that's it. I'm done. Until next time, everybody, thanks again. Stay safe out there, and remember to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>